Welcome, welcome, and welcome. My name is Jeffrey K. Patterson. I'm the Chief Executive Officer of the Cuyahoga Metropolitan Housing Authority and the President of the Council of Large Public Housing Authorities. Welcome to our new podcast, To The Point. To The Point is a podcast that will allow us to explore critical issues in housing. We'll be bringing in experts and leaders from all across the country to talk about the importance of housing, what's being done in housing, what needs to be done in housing, and how we go about getting things done. You know, people may ask, why a podcast? Why do you guys want to do something like this? Because we needed a forum where we could just really just talk. We wanted a forum where we could just really just have some good, solid conversation. And that conversation can lead to action because that's what it's all about for us in the housing industry. We're about trying to find ways to get things done and to the point will be a key mechanism for us to be able to do that. We're going to have two guests on today that have a long history of getting things done. One will be Greg Russ, leader of New York City Housing Authority, and has just recently put together what they call the blueprint of change, which will allow the New York Housing Authority to recapitalize its housing stock. Our second guest is a person who has been working in this housing industry for a number of years, and that's Ms. Sonia Zaderman. She is the executive director of Clapper. Sonia has worked so hard and worked with so many folks about trying to promote housing and housing excellence that her perspective is always valued and one that is really uh, necessary in our industry. So I'm going to be speaking with Sonia first. And Sonia, you know... I'm going to be speaking to Greg about the blueprint for change. Uh, He's going to talk a little bit about the recent approvals that they've gotten from the New York legislator and uh, governor. But I think the thing that I want to ask you first and foremost is about recapitalization, about the need for recapitalization and all of those things. How did we get here? How did we get to this point where this is all needed? Thanks, Jeff, and congratulations to you on this podcast and particularly your leadership in moving this forward. It is particularly fitting to have this inaugural podcast spotlighting Greg Russ and the New York City Housing Authority, NYCHA. They're the largest housing authority in the country, and they have a huge footprint. But they are also, their plan for transformation and their efforts really over the last decades reflect the issues so inherent in the public housing program and how we see the plan for transformation is really a, a, really a plan for hope that we can rescue this portfolio. The public housing program was actually created in 1937, even though there were earlier models, but on the federal level in the Housing Act of 1937, that basically said the federal government would issue bonds, build the housing uh, that would fund the uh, development of the housing, and that housing authorities would pay the bonds back. They would serve uh, certain populations in terms of income, but it was self-supporting in terms of rent, that the federal government support was in the development of the housing. It wasn't until 1968 where it was very clear that rents were becoming unaffordable. The need to operate public housing could not be sustained with the rents that were being collected in public housing and keep it affordable. And the Brook Amendment was passed, 
which basically said that the federal government would provide the difference between 30% of adjusted income for a household and the cost of operating that public housing. We see for already decades, public housing operating without any support uh, and being self-sustaining, but the recognition that the mission-driven was not consistent with the model. Over the years, the uh, operating subsidy was adequately funded and then took a, a nosedive and for decades had been chronically underfunded. And then on top of that, there was no capital investment stream available to housing authorities really until the 1990s. Think about it. We're developing housing in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, expecting them to be viable after decades of use. It became clear there was a convergence of activities in the 1990s, including the Commission on Severely Distressed Housing, recognizing that we have socially and physically and economically isolated a lot of developments. We finally created a capital fund stream to provide capital funds to upgrade public housing. The HOPE 6 program was created. In 2008, uh, CLAFA convened the Summit on the Future of Public Housing. A wide variety of stakeholders were convened to try to uh, identify the most important uh, issues facing uh, the public housing portfolio as the new Obama administration uh, uh, came into place. One of the most important recommendations was to move public housing uh, and assisted housing to a more reliable subsidy platform, given the chronic underfunding that we had seen over the many decades of the public housing history. And uh, CLAFA was instrumental in calling for this. That was one of the recommendations of the summit with agreement from the wide range of stakeholders. And we were successful in, uh, in shaping the legislation and many housing authorities have benefited from the ability uh, to move to a more reliable section eight uh, funding stream. However, this has not uh, cured all of our problems. It's uh, dealt with a, a close to 200,000 units, I, I believe, that have been benefited from the RAD program, but we continue to need uh, uh, funding now, the estimates at 70, $70 to $80 billion in capital fund investment. The Build Back Better Act that Greg may reference was the first acknowledgement uh, by the administration, uh, any administration, I should say, and a House passed bill that included $70 billion uh, for capital funds for public housing. Uh, we know that Build Back Better uh, did not get passed, but it was critical in its important recognition that this was a huge public asset that it had been underfunded and was desperate need of capital funds. So what the plan for transformation does uh, is critical, is forward thinking, and is a way to cure the really structural problems of public housing. Wow. You know, saying that that really tells a story and that really, you know, gives us an idea of all the different things that's happened from a historical perspective and puts, you know, the work that we're doing into context. You know, public housing authorities have become adept in managing in this scarcity environment. Is there any hope that some things will change? Well, despite all the chronic underfunding and the overregulation, we are seeing housing authorities be inventive and creative and prospering in the context of scarcity by combining funds, but in partnering and cross-sector 
but also thinking about the economic benefits of their recapitalization strategies and understanding that this touches on not just creating a new housing unit, but uh, affects the overall built environment, affects uh, energy efficiency, affects health equity, the quality of air, environmental remediation, climate resilience. Of course, today we know how uh, critical and how costly ignoring uh, climate resistance can be. We know that this economic investment has multiplier effects, particularly coming from housing authorities in their use of Section 3 program and ensuring that economic benefits are flowing to the community. And the most important thing is that it creates long-term sustainability. So we've invested in this public housing stock. But Jeff, you're right. How do we manage in scarcity? Uh, we, I think, at post-pandemic have come to understand in a much more uh, public way how critical housing stability is to the health of the nation and the economic well-being of the nation. Uh, we'll continue to work on securing the resources. And of course, we couldn't do it without leaders like you and and Greg in the field using uh, all the resources available to you to bring uh, a better life to residents you serve. You know, saying it, it's clear from, you know, what you said that, you know, recapitalization is is paramount in terms of trying to provide a, a, a better quality of life for the uh, people uh, that we all serve and the and residents that reside in housing. So uh, it's, it's nice to know that this is uh, one of CLAFA's uh, top uh, legislative priorities. And it's nice to know that CLAFA is working hard to provide uh, housing authorities with the resources and the assistance to be able to try to move uh, this initiative forward. You know, I thank you for uh, joining me today on this podcast and you've earned a spot if you will take it. I would love for you to be a permanent guest on this uh, podcast. I think your knowledge and your insight and the information uh, you provide is something that uh, could be a great resources, a resource to all of us out in the housing, in housing industry. So how about it? Will you, will you be a permanent guest for us? Sign me up. <laughs> uh, all and, right. and thank you again, Jeff. No problem. Looking forward to uh, speaking with you again. Thanks. Yes, Mr. Greg Russ from the New York City Housing Authority. Greg is a seasoned housing professional with decades of experience. He has helped to rebuild and strengthen public housing authorities across the country. You know, Greg's kind of like Johnny Cash. He's been everywhere, including Minnesota, Cambridge, Detroit, Philadelphia, and Chicago. Since 2019, Greg has led the New York City Housing Authority, the nation's largest housing authority by far. NYCHA has houses over 339,000 residents across 177,000 apartments within 335 housing development. Roughly one in every 16 New Yorkers call NYCHA home. Greg, welcome to our podcast today, and let's get straight to the point. When you joined New York City Housing Authority in 2019, what 
was the condition of, of the portfolio and what were your major challenges at that time? Jeff, thank you. And I just want to say thanks to you and to Sonia and to Alpha for having me on the first podcast. And also, I just wanted to shout out for the support that uh, CLAFA as an institution has provided as we push through the ideas that we're working on in New York. So I arrived in New York in August of 2019. And to set the stage briefly, this was after the Housing Authority had experienced a disastrous season of heat and hot water issues. We were sued by the Department of Justice, the Southern District of New York, and that resulted in a settlement agreement that was signed in January of 2019. That agreement focused on compliance issues, both environmental compliance issues and uh, maintenance compliance issues, established the monitor and was signed off by the city, the Southern District, HUD, and NYCHA. And it was under the terms of those agree that agreement that I wound up coming to New York. And what I found was some of the most difficult unit conditions I've seen in a long time. We have strong buildings. There's, I think, structurally sound. But the years and years of missing out on capital funds, comprehensive approaches to repairs and investments have really taken their toll. I saw apartments in some of the worst conditions I've seen probably in 20 to 25 years. Not every single apartment, but many, because simple repair is hardly ever a simple repair because of the fatigue and lack of investment in the systems. So it was a tough go to see and begin to think about how to attack that problem. So when you, when you got in and you got a chance to look around and you got a chance to start building your team and bringing in some some resources probably had to put together some type of plan some type of blueprint what is the blueprint for change there and and how does it how do you go about tackling the unique complex challenges that nature represents so the the blueprint in part grew out of the requirements in the agreement that we signed. To break it down into themes, there are three parts to the blueprint. The first is reform and investment in the business culture of NYCHA. This is a sort of restructuring, reorganizing departments, realigning, trying to do better metrics, trying to make sure work orders are tracked and done more promptly. So the business culture is part of the reforms and there is a separate plan that just deals with the structural changes NYCHA had to make. The second and probably the part that has received the most attention is the investment in the buildings. This investment in NYCHA is topped out at about $40 billion. If you add the requirements that we might face in the coming years and uh, with electrification and climate, that number could quickly climb to around $49 billion. So raising the money, the capital to put in those buildings was the second part of the blueprint. Last part, investment in the people. And by that, we mean if we're able to raise the capital, make the structural reforms to NYCHA and do this over the next three to five years, there will be tremendous investment opportunities for the families and individuals who live in those apartments. And by that, I mean economic opportunities, jobs, education, all of that can flow as we revitalize these uh, communities and these buildings. So the blueprint was really attempting to address all three of those issues. And it, it seems like you've got a, a good plan, a good blueprint, and a good strategy for how you want to go about it in terms of the actual layout of the, of the strategy. But it also takes a lot of stakeholders. It takes a lot of partners. You know, you have a city, you have the state, you have HUD, you have uh, the unions. You know, and NYCHA is also uh, one of the areas that has a very strong, very committed uh, tenant organization that are, are always looking out for the uh, best interests of the residents uh, in the community. How do you manage kind of different groups together to kind of move forward on, on this blueprint that you and your team have put together? 
if we think about what the blueprint required us to do, I can uh, sort of talk to that first and then talk about the engagement process. The first thing we realized is we had, uh, uh, NYCHA was using uh, the rental assistance demonstration pretty efficiently actually, and, and, and we still are. So we had a small group of properties at the time going through the RAD conversions and beginning to get the capital investment. However, RAD was very controversial in New York. We came up with a fully public option in the RAD model in New York. There's private developers, which in some cases raised opposition to NYCHA's investment in the community. We created the Public Housing Preservation Trust, which is a public benefit corporation. That is where the seeds of the engagement were planted. It took us two years to get the trust bill through the, the state legislature. Over that time, we you know dealt with the pandemic like all the rest of us, but we had many, many meetings, many, many uh, sit-downs, either in appropriate public spaces or over Zoom or Teams or whatever we were using. And we began the process of trying to make people feel comfortable with these ideas. Now, one of the things that is difficult in New York is for the most part, there's so very uh, there's very little trust between the residents and NYCHA. There's been so many disappointments over the years, and as we tried to push the preservation trust bill in Albany, we felt that. I mean, that came back to us in a big way. We probably had our breakthrough in the second go-round on the bill. We modified the bill to include an opt-in process. In other words, residents at a property could choose RAD or the trust or choose to just stay where they are. And then that began to gather momentum among some of the resident leaders. Also, the second thing that happened was we didn't get the Build Back Better money. As the options became limited, people began to see that this might be something to try. So the first group uh, of engagement was with the resident organization. We kept the city apprised. Of course, we were in Albany and working with the state assembly and the state senate and the governor's office. HUD was incredibly supportive. HUD actually sent letters to the uh, uh, state assembly and the senate in support of the public housing trust bill and the labor unions because we were keeping a public workforce and we were using Davis-Bacon. They really gave us a lot of support as well. So as the bill came together, if I could define it that way, as we began to put in place those pieces for the uh, capital investment structure, we began to tug uh, at the stakeholders in a positive way. And I think that that was sort of uh, a constant period of engagement. Just to give you a feel, at one point, we had three staff in Albany for four to five months just trying to make sure everyone understood what we were trying to do. So it was a big commitment and eventually paid off. So we were very pleased with the passage of the bill. That's good. I mean, it really shows a lot of the commitment and hard work that you and your team have been really doing over the last few years. One final question. When you think of transformation, what does transformation mean for the families that NYCHA serves? That's an excellent question because, so I would define it several ways. The first is that there's reliability in the service delivery on a day-to-day -day basis. We've achieved more reliability. We're better at heat, hot water, elevator repairs. We still have a lot of work to do to get the work order system and the tickets in a place where we think we can track and, and monitor them in a reasonable way and ensure that they get done timely. So there's a sort of basic property management services 
that if we're successful, those will begin to improve. The second thing I would say is that if we're successful in raising the capital, this is the chance to give these buildings, you know, these buildings have missed three to four cycles of investment. They have a lot of potential uh, even today because if we can get the systems replaced, redo the units, put in modern cabinetry, put in more modern technologies with respect to heat, hot water, and energy, we could make these properties serviceable for another 50 years. So the transformation, both in terms of how NYCHA uh, provides services to residents, is one index. And the second index to me would be you're in a unit where you can come home in the evening, you can help your kids with homework, and you don't have to worry about whether you have heat or you've got a leak from above. So, uh, you know, trying to get it down to the basics, I think if we can do these two things together, we could give p people a really excellent place to live, just like NYCHA was when, when they first put the units in the ground. That is outstanding. Greg, and good luck to you and your team as you move forward to uh, put that together. You know, it's clear that the strategy behind a blueprint can be a model for recapitalization of public housing across the country. And I hope you'll be able to join us again to help provide us an update of what's going on uh, with NYCHA. Jeff, thanks. And I'd be glad to and uh, anytime. And uh, thanks so much again for having me on this podcast. That's Greg Russ, ladies and gentlemen, one of the pioneers of housing, or as I said earlier, the Johnny Cash of housing. We really appreciate him joining us today. Well, that's our show for today, but this is just the beginning. If there's content or topics you would like to hear more about, please email Clafus Director of Communication, David Greer at dgreer at claffa.org. I'm Jeffrey K. Patterson, and you've been listening to To The Point, a Council of Large Public Housing Authority podcast. CLAPA is a nonprofit membership organization that works to preserve and improve public and affordable housing through advocacy, research, policy analysis, and public education. Our membership includes over 70 of the largest and most innovative public housing authorities across the country. Our members collectively own and manage nearly 40% of the nation's public housing stock, administer more than a quarter of the Housing Choice Voucher Program, and provide a wide array of other rental assistance. They also make vital services available to the more than 1 million low-income households they serve. Learn more about us and our membership at clpha.org or on Twitter at clpha. Through our Housing Is initiative, CLAFA is helping to build a future where housing, education, and health systems work together to improve life outcomes for low-income people. Learn more about our work to broaden and deepen cross-sector collaboration at housingis.org or on Twitter at housing underscore is.